Welcome to episode five of The Effortless Athlete. I'm Alex Castlander here with Bobby White. We're the guys at High Power Performance. Today we have special guest James Chung. James is a Doctor of PT student at Columbia University, Master of Taekwondo, and an assistant instructor with the Functional Range Systems. On today's episode, James shares his ultimate vision of helping one billion people solve complex movement problems, the importance in understanding the person in front of you, and why we must accept that everyone learns to move differently. We talk a lot about how we as coaches and trainers need to teach athletes to focus on their movement and understand their own bodies. And finally, we discuss some of the principles behind the FRS and the importance of preparing our joints and tissues for the demands of sport in everyday life. We hope you enjoy listening. Now let's get to the show. So just to kick it off, I come to your Instagram page here, and that's at Chungi Chung, and yep. your vision, teach 1 billion people how to solve complex movement problems with simple training solutions. Can you talk to me about that just for a little bit, maybe unpack that a little bit? Um, yeah. That's a big vision, man. It is. Um, funny enough, like it's something that um, – came across I like the idea or came across or across my head when I was like kind of thinking about like you know what I really want to do what am I actually doing by like studying what I'm studying learning what I'm doing and um I've always been uh you know really passionate about teaching and education and so something I I really came to realize in terms of like setting goals for myself is that like they have to be bigger than I really think is like accomplishable or, or possible. That way I can at least push myself to do things that I otherwise wouldn't if I set the bar a little lower than I other, otherwise would. And um, that's actually something I learned from. So my girlfriend's a graphic designer within the um, creative community. Um, there's this person named Chris Doe and um, his vision is uh, something similar. And it's something that inspired me because uh within the creative community, they're really big on education as well and creating and making um, the arts more accessible to people. And that's something that I really vibe with too, in terms of like movement and getting people to, you know, learn more about their bodies. I feel it's something that um, not enough people really kind of have the tools to actually develop. And I think, um, so for me, in terms of aligning with what I do, you know, I want to teach people how to solve issues with their own bodies um, and kind of having my experience, I realized it's a lot easier than you know, people make it out to be. And I think, uh, yeah, it's kind of what I want to do. And by teaching coaches and teaching teachers, hopefully, you know, I can spread to the masses and help other people do the same or teach other people to do the, to do the same. Cause I don't, I can't teach a billion people, but I can teach, you know, a couple thousand to teach, you know, to spread out and spread the ways and, uh, kind of similar to what you're doing in your coaching. I imagine every other coach is doing in the world. So that's kind of where it comes from. Yeah. Thanks a lot. So, I mean, 
complex movement problems. I, you know, our listeners are probably going to be either high school, college level basketball players or parents of high school mm -hmm. level college basketball players. I would imagine, I don't really know who listens to this. There might be four listeners. There might be 400. There might be 4,000. I don't really know. We're not to a billion yet, but uh, I think we have similar visions with that. What Eventually, eventually. Yeah, yeah maybe, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> what, uh, what's a complex movement problem? What I, if I if I'm a high school kid, if I'm a high school basketball player, if I'm a parent of one of those and I hear something like complex movement problem, I don't even I know what I think of that. Right. I know what you mean, but I think I know what you mean by that. But if I was, you know, a normal person walking down the street, what's a complex movement problem? I think complexity really is specific to your level of understanding. Cause like, if I understand something very well, you know, it might be simple to me, but complex to somebody else. So to me, uh, it depends on, you know, your familiar, familiar you, are, you are with what you're dealing with. So to me, it's more like dealing with uncertainty, dealing with something that you're not familiar with. So complex in a sense that you might not, under might not understand the interacting, interacting parts with what's going on. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't strategies for you to explore that complexity. So in that sense, I think um, complex movement problems, you can look at it purely from like, you know, diagnostically or like from like a diagnosis perspective, like, you know, there are issues physiologically, you know, you know, in regards to the body that may be complex, but regardless, like, especially as I'm going through my curriculum in physical therapy school, you come to realize like, regardless of the diagnosis, everybody's going to present differently anyway. And so the solution, tends to be very similar you know what i mean and so the complexity comes from you thinking it's a lot more than it actually is and but at the end of the day the thing that you're going to do to help address it and help yourself is pretty similar but that's why the this the intervention or the solution is simple in that sense um and so trying to explore that is something that i try and teach and i'm still learning for myself but it's something i try and promote as much as possible yeah so personally i i've had you know, dozens, it feels like hundreds of injuries. I have, you know, complex movement problems. If you, if you look at my ankles, you look at my hip, I mean, you look at any joint in my body. Um, I don't know if it's doing what the joint should be doing. And, and I was drawn to you by your ability to, to make things simple and your ability to take these complex issues, these complexity, you know, problems and and the way you talk about them and make it seem simple. I remember I, I drove out to New York City to see you the one time and, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and you gave me one thing, right? I come in there, my ankles stink, my, my, and even that's how I talk, right? And, and even me saying that to you, my ankles, you're, and you, you're somebody that's going to be, well, they don't stink, right? That, that they're just not where you want them to be. And that's completely different where I can have an emotional reaction to something going on in my body where, you know, my ankles are bad, my hips are bad. And you were somebody that pointed out that they're not bad. They're just not where you want them to be. That's not bad or good. There's no need to bring that emotional response. And I think you were very keen, right, to keep people from getting emotional attachments to something like um, something's wrong with me, something's defected with me. Where'd you learn that? Where'd you learn, you know, did you study anybody? Did you hear something? Was it a book to get, because that's what I'm big into now. If like a kid misses a jump shot, I'm a bad jump shooter. That was a bad shot. I'm a bad basketball player. And it continues to get worse and worse. And we get so emotional. Where did you learn um, kind of that teaching style, I guess? Yeah, I, it's funny because in college, I went to um, small community, not community, um, 
computer school in Brooklyn, St. Francis. I actually played tennis there. Anyways, besides the point, but I started off as an education major. Um, and one of my professors, like, it's, it's funny because I've noticed this in my life, but it wasn't really until I reflect on it, reflected on it that, like, I really understood it. Like, you always remember the, like, the key educators in your life that really create an impact. Like, you always remember that one teacher, that one professor, that one person that taught you something. And it was something about how they did it that, like, just never leaves your mind. And something I, like, really always reflected on, like, growing up was, like, I always remember those teachers, those professors. And um, in college, as an education major, I had one of those professors in one of my education classes. And there in this class there was uh, somebody um one particular student uh, they had per, uh, special needs or uh wasn't like on the same level as everybody else in the sense of like being able to catch on to the curriculum and the pace of the class but the way that my professor manipulated her style to get everybody included but still be able to uh, take into consideration this particular student not make them feel uh like they were like outside of what was happening, it really made me reflect on like, well, this is like what I want to do. Like, isn't, it's not just about like the material or the subject. It's more about the process of learning how to individualize it and taking a situation in front of you and kind of doing what you can to make the best of it for the people involved. And I, I realized that like, from a teaching perspective, it's how I want it to be taught is how I learn and how I prefer. And it's when I can, when, Whenever I had those teachers, those educators, those were the moments in my life where I was like learning the most in a sense, like I got the most out of it. And so for me, it's, I, I kind of just asked myself, is that something I can take into with what I really like to do? Um, and that it was something I was still trying to pick up on throughout college. I started as an education major, but then I realized I wanted to do something um, because I wanted to do physical education. And that's where I started. Then I went into psych, uh, health promotions. I realized that wasn't really what I kind of wanted to focus on. Then I realized, let me just do psychology because I can graduate on time and still take some classes I need to potentially apply to PT school in the future. But it was kind of like this process that um, education was always in the back of my head while I was exploring these things. And because I feel education is, isn't like a specific thing. It's something that's everybody does. If you're working with somebody like um, understanding how people learn, it's going to allow you to better connect with them, especially if you're trying to create positive change. That's something I want to do, you know, while I'm around. So I figured it's something that I can kind of base what I or base like my filter on, you know, what I mean, in terms of like what I learn and what I want to pursue. And so I, I kind of picked it up more so reflecting on those people who really create, created impact in my life. And it's something that I try and uh, really tailor to what my my like personal like, um, you know, what I like to do, my interests and I'm in PT school now and I realized like becoming a healthcare professional is something that I believe I can bring some of this in with me and kind of improve my ability to help others as a healthcare professional. And I also see the need for it too, because when you look at healthcare professionals, healthcare professionals as a whole, specifically PT, because I'm more familiar with that world, um, it's almost lost. It becomes like you go to school and now all of a sudden you're too focused on the information rather than you forget the person. And it's something that's kind of being rekindled in the curriculum now and the way people are learning and something I just want to promote more. Do you think a shift is happening? Because I mean, I grew up getting injured all the time. And I was by the time I was in college, I knew what 
good physical therapy was and I knew what bad physical therapy was because I was blessed to have great trainers who were forward thinkers, guys that were into movement, into all this, you know, stuff. And by the time I was somebody that always paid attention to what was going on with me. So like I've learned more about my body through injuries and rehabbing myself than I have from any textbook. Right. And by the time I was in college, I would go to a, you know, a physical therapist and they would make me warm up on the bike for 15 minutes. And then they would put stim on me for another 15. And then I would see the doctor for 15 and then I would get, um, heat or whatever for the last 15 or whatever it was or get handed off to somebody else and I was strong enough or confident enough at that age I would walk in and they would tell me to get on the bike for 15 minutes I'd be like I warmed up before I got here can I get right to the right to the show here and do you think there will be a shift away from that because I know that is still prevalent in today's industry I, I see the box physical therapy and I see and I hear people's experience with physical therapy, and it sounds like it's all pretty much the same unless you get to somebody like yourself or some people in my network where I refer my kids to that are really have your best interest in mind and you as a human and not you as a number. Do you think there will be a shift? I mean, the shift is happening now yeah. simply because people like, um, you know, people promoting this idea, you know, not idea. It's like it's something that's inherently started something to help people deal with uh, issues with their bodies and i think the shift is happening now because um it just it has to you know what i mean like because as we start to learn more and more about you know people you know and understand like the relationship between like how we can actually help somebody and how and the tools we use to actually make that happen it's a shift that has to happen because like we're finding some of the tools that we used to think were like very, um, like really address a problem aren't really doing as much because they're not really taking into consideration the individual. And it, now it's taking a look at, it's, it's a matter of taking a look at how can we better change the curriculum or better change how we coach or teach future educators, future clinicians, future. I mean, this is, doesn't just apply to PT. This obviously applies to coach, the coaching world as well. Um, but how can we better integrate our models for um, helping people uh, while considering individuals, considering like the uniqueness of each and every person, uh, because I think it's very easy to kind of learn and fall into models that like lump people together. Um, and some of these models have been around for a while and it's kind of one of those like, oh, we've always done it this way, but now people are starting to realize, you know, everybody's very, unique is very individual not every strategy is going to work for with every person and so if you really want to create a change or a difference you have to better understand what factors or or what things or components are involved and in regards to physical therapy specifically um you know it's not just like the physical component of physical therapy that helps people get better there's a lot more to it there's like the the psychosocial components to the rehab that really impact the out, the outcomes in terms of whether you're successful or not in in providing somebody with care, and I think uh, yeah, like I said, it's a shift that has to happen, and I see it happening, um, and I definitely want to be part of it. And so part of that is like learning it myself and seeing how I can integrate it with the people I work with. Yeah, and something you say I think you say it frequently or maybe I just I say it to myself frequently because I loved it so much when you said it was teaching people not just to move but to learn how to move right teaching people to learn and 
I think that's incredibly profound. And I, I think about it every day, pretty much. I'm walking to the gym, working with athletes. How can, how can I inspire these? Because then there's an inspirational piece to it where it's not just do this, do this. It's what do you think? What do you feel? What are you exploring? What are you creating? What can you do like to, to empower the individual that I'm serving is so much more impactful than telling him what exactly to do. We're giving him, you know, we, I like to call it giving my athletes permission to explore, right? Because they don't get that. They sit in school for eight hours. They have to sit there. They get lunch at this time. The bell rings. They have to go here. They have practice at 430. And we're creating these robots of human beings. And they they come in and I tell them to create their own warm up or to do a cartwheel or to, you know, and I'll bring them through all the FRC, the cars and all this. But what do you want to do? How do you feel about this? Can you do this? Right? Um, How's my form? Uh, You know, well, it's okay. How does it feel? How does that form feel to you? Right. And, and I start this dialogue and I see it start to empower these kids where they become more confident, where they become, well, it's, it's not all about right or wrong. It's, you know, am I learning? Am, am I taking part? Am I trying to be better? And yeah, I kind of went off on my own tangent there, but that, what, what you talk about teaching people to learn, what else can we do to, to do that? Or what else have you found that works to, to really empower people and get them to understand the, uh, the process of learning. Yeah. And I'm actually interested to hear both your experiences, you know, playing sports too, because this is something that I've definitely noticed um, in studying and learning more about like learning, how do, how do people learn to move and kind of going back to what you're mentioning, I won't take credit for that quote, but it, because it's something I heard on Rob Gray's podcast on perception yeah. action. I'll um, take credit for it then. All right, cool. You can take credit for it. <laughs> I'll let I'll let him know you did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's something that like uh, really resonated because the more you look at and understand like current concepts on motor learning frameworks and theory, the more you cross um, this this idea or this concept that each individual is unique. No one individual um, moves the same because they perceive their environment differently, even if two people are in the same place at the same time. Um, And based on what they're capable of doing, that's what's gonna influence their perception of what's capable of being acted on in their environment. All that means is like, you know, people are are unique. And if you are better able to recognize what makes somebody unique, you're gonna be better able to tailor something um, that meets their needs uh, in that moment, right? But the thing is, not everybody will be able to explore that for themselves. And given the constraints like traditional coaching strategies have put on athletes, it makes athletes like really lose that ability to perceive what's happening within their own body and engage with that and how it enga- how they engage with their environment. And they are over-reliant on external feedback or information to judge their performance. Like, so as coaches, one of the issues is like, traditionally, you know, you're told how to move. This is how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. Um, and if you're told your whole life uh, how to do that, then you're reliant on that information. Um, and if, you know, when you're independent on your own, you don't have your coaches anymore. Like, and you're constantly seeking for the coach. You're constantly seeking for that, that source of information that you base everything you do on. Um, rather than like, being an athlete uh, who has a coach who like you're like you two who kind of just promote let's do a couple things let's explore i'm going to teach you how to do this for yourself but in a sense 
the information you're picking up on isn't what I'm telling you what to do. It's rather what you're experiencing and feeling by doing the thing I'm telling you to do. Um, and I'm not going to be somebody who's telling you what to do. I'm going to be part of that process because I'm going to, your, your perception, your, what you feel and are experiencing is just as value, valuable in helping me tailor it specific to you. So that conversation is very key. Um, so I'd love to hear actually, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear like how, like your experience growing up as athletes too, like, is that, is that a, like a, a conflict you had growing up, like, you know, being told what to do and then all of a sudden the way you're coaching now, like comparing it to how you uh, were brought up for, I'll go first because yeah. I mean, for, for me, I, you know, I have issues, right? I've got, <laughs> we talked about complex movement issues. I have complex, you know, mental issues. All right. So growing up, I was, I was always kind of the biggest kid, but I, I was, I was very emotional. I was very, I took things very personally and I could be, it took me a long time to create meaningful relationships where I trusted people and uh, you know, where that stems from is a whole nother story, but mm -hmm. I, I was a people pleaser. You know, I wanted to make people happy and I was always more focused with making the coach happier, what other people were thinking than, than playing for myself. We'll keep in the context of sports, right? So if there was a play in basketball, we had to run a play. I was so focused on running the play right that it completely took me out of the present moment and, and being a fluid athlete or an effortless athlete for the sake of this podcast, right? Or if um, there, there were friends in the stands, if there was a, a coach told didn't give me a green light, I went from playing AAU basketball where I was traveling the country, going all over, playing Division One players, having Division One coaches talking to me. And then I would go into my suburban high school league and I was completely different because the AAU scene traveling, there wasn't as much plays. It was more up and down. I was a shooter. I could flow. The coach believed in me for whatever reason, right? And then I would get back to high school and the coach didn't see me playing all summer. He didn't see me playing all spring and he didn't understand how much work I was putting in. And I wasn't confident enough to overcome that. And I, I had all, you know, I could call it back then. I would have called it politics. I would have called it bad coaching, which it may have been because it, it may have been, but if I was a confident enough athlete and I had, if I had myself as a trainer, you know, I want to be the trainer that, you know, I needed as a kid. If I had somebody that pushed me and told me as much as many excuses that I would have made, if he just kept on it, I may have, you know, overcome that. I don't know. And I don't regret it one bit. I wasn't able to overcome that in high school. I was too worried about making people happy rather than, you know, just playing my game. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know how I, I, I came to be the, the confident human that I am now. I mean, it's been rigorous, thorough work and, and really looking at this and, and kind of bashing all these, you know, pre all, all these scripts and stories that I carried with myself for so long, things that I told myself that, that had no evidence. It's just these feelings that I had, right? And I try to be that coach today that, that, that calls people out, that doesn't tell people what they want to hear, that tells people, athletes, kids, what they need to hear, even though it's hard. And even though I might, you know, we might have some relational friction, right? But that relational friction is what makes relationships stronger. If you get along with everybody 100% of the time, that's a key sign to me that you're not growing in that relationship. So Alex is sitting here. I think he can speak on this too. We have conflict in our gym. 
We have smiles in our gym. We have laughter in our gym, but we have me exploding sometimes just to see how they react because I know their mm -hmm. high school coach is going to do that. So I will go off on somebody, mm -hmm. but you better believe it. And I share about this a lot because I think it's really important. You better believe after I do that, I'm going to hug him. I'm going to tell him I love him. And I'm going to tell him why I did that. I wanted to see how you responded to that chaos because you're going to deal with chaos, whether it be with your high school coach or just life. You will deal with chaos. And the better you get at not getting emotional, the better you get at, you know, understanding, being confident and all these things that sometimes I might have to go crazy to teach them that. Mm -hmm. And I now know I know I went on a whole nother tangent. I don't know if I, you know, stayed. No, actually, <laughs> like that's that's so interesting because what you're creating is a representative environment. Right. You understand the demands of what they are most likely going to come across because you know they won't be in that perfect coaching relationship 100 percent of the time their whole career so mm -hmm. being exposed to this within a controlled setting at least allows you to you know better explore test the waters to see where there needs to be some work um, but also at the same time better understand how one might react to a situation like that especially if it's unfamiliar because like like you said like what if they all of a sudden get a brand new coach and they're this I had so I actually happened to play high school basketball in Queens. Uh -oh. um, you know, this is my this is my uh, my claim to fame here. I played. Uh, it was double A Queens too, Long Island City High School public school. So Watch out, it, was, man. it was it was competitive. So, but anyway, my coach was like he screamed, yelled. I mean, it was wild. And I've seen other coaches. And it's funny when I played Cardozo, that was one actually that coach in particular also was very, and I, I never experienced something like that. And I, I'm here in high school. I just like tried out. I somehow made it. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, are all coaches like this? Is this how I should coach? Because it was one of my first experiences to having a coach. Um, and I reflect on that because I wish that like, I I understood kind of what you were talking about. Like, you know, it's if I had somebody else to tell me like, this is something you're going to come across, but these are ways that you can navigate it let's at least like better understand it now so that if you can come across it in the future, you're going to be better able to handle it or respond to it in a way that doesn't hinder your performance. Um, and I, it definitely affected me. Um, and it was something that like kind of didn't motivate me as much. I, it was something I did on the side, like in high school, but like, I, you know, when you play basketball, you, you want to play, you're very, you know, it's something that you, to me, I like definitely, I like the community around it, especially with um, my teammates and whatnot. So something I took very seriously at the time, but it just sucked when that happened. And I, it just really, I like, I was very similar. I was, I'm a people pleaser. So growing up, I just wanted to do what was right. And if I messed up, I felt like that was just a reflection on me and like, and who I was as a person. And that definitely wasn't the case, but being able to experience that early on would have probably helped me better understand that would have helped me like at least navigate that. Um, what about you, Alex? Anything similar to talk about there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing Bobby and I always talk about is just nudging the athletes, right? Just giving them, yeah. you know, if we set up a, a parameter or, um, you know, a situation where, okay, we want you to get, you know, the, get the ball from your left hand to your right hand, get to a spot and shoot. Right. For me growing up, like everything was so fundamental because my, my dad was my biggest coach growing up and, and he did always did a great job but the people he studied, the coaches he studied were all, you know, old school guys, fundamentals, you know, Mike and drills, uh, the Maravich series mm -hmm. dribbling, you know, um, very footwork oriented. And it, and it worked out for me, you know, form shooting, all that stuff. It worked out for me because 
my footwork was always clean. My shot was always smooth. But the thing I missed was that that level of just exploring and and pushing my tempo and changing things up and seeing if I could, you know, take a move I saw or something my coach taught me and and add my own little flavor or twist to it. So for us, there's at least for me, there's always this balance of, okay, if I want to work on a move or a situation, um, you know, I'm going to show the kids the way that I do it and the way that I'm, you know, I'll, I'll name drop an NBA player and I'll say, you know, I saw him do it just like this in the game and it worked out well, but immediately I see, you know, half the group might not have it. There are kids who are great athletes with little control over their footwork and there are kids who are like, like I was, who are a little bit slower, a little more conservative, who can get the footwork down perfectly, but they're not doing it at a speed that's going to work in the game, right? They're not mm-hmm. doing it at a level that's going to allow them, if, if, maybe if they lose the ball, can they recover and create a shot out of it? Or if, you know, the defender jumps too quick, what are they going to, how are they going to react? So for us, it's always kind of nudging the athletes where, you know, this is how I do it, or this is how so-and-so did it see if, you know, you could get around that, but then also, you know, see what works for you. And again, it, it, it all comes back, I think, to just teaching them how to really concentrate on what they feel and, and understand, you know, their own body positions and their, their strengths, their weaknesses and all those things. Um, so, and, and also going back just to like having that conflict, I think you see so much or you learn so much about these kids um, especially at like the high school level, because it's such a, you know, important time for their lives. An emotional time, right? Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> ups and downs. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's actually something I wish I had more of, because like I said, like all of my coaches, my father coached me for years. And then the rest of my coaches were all, you know, my friend's parents. Um, I had one AU coach who was a little crazy and he was probably the first coach who really like got up on me to, and, and pushed me. But that probably, I think that lasted like one season and then I was the best player on that team. And I, you know, I don't know what it was because I never, I never asked him to lay off me, but he did, you know, he laid off me because he wanted me to be happy. He wanted me to stay with the AU mm-hmm. program that, that uh, I was playing with, I think. Um, and I think I needed more of that. And I think these kids need more of that. Not every day, not every minute that they're in the gym, like you said, where this guy is just screaming at them you know, to do something better and he's not teaching them how to, or he's not, you know, letting them explore themselves. But, um, but I think that conflict really, really brings out a lot in, in the best players, especially. Um, yeah. I think like you brought up a pretty, really good point too. Like, you know, you can be a coach and know what you want your athletes to do, but if you don't give them the tools to do it, like doesn't matter how hard you're going to yell they're not going to be able to pick it up right yet alone like if you don't understand what components are involved in learning that thing that you want them to do how are you actually going to teach them effectively so it goes back to what i always harp on like if you're going to teach people how to move you should understand how people learn to move because you might learn how to teach a specific thing but then you fall into the trap of um teaching for performance rather than teaching for learning and if there's one thing that's very, very like uh, looked at in terms of like more learning research and whatnot is that, you know, there's a difference just because you can perform in the moment doesn't mean you're going to have long-term learning. So learning being more of a permanent change in how you behave 
how you how you move and so keeping that in mind like you can do all the drills that look really good and i'm sure you come across it in basketball where you can perform in this like very uh, how do you call it um static environment um very sterile environment very controlled environment but then when you have the crowd when you have you know someone in front of you it it all breaks down and i think uh it comes to like you said kind of like being able to reflect on that and engage right how am i going to if i'm good if i want to teach this thing do i really understand what i'm trying to teach like kind of asking those questions diving a little deeper what what is it that i'm actually teaching am i actually teaching the drill or am i trying to teach what they're supposed to perceive by giving them this drill if that makes sense right yeah and so yeah, if you keep if you keep that in mind then you understand that okay now i have to manipulate the drill because i still if i understand i want them to perceive a certain aspect of like their game now the drill isn't the thing that you don't touch it's something that you have to explore you have to manipulate whereas other coaches are like no this is the way it's supposed to be you know what i mean like <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah. that's where you run into conflict between somebody's capacity to do something and you not being able to adjust to that and i think that's where it all stems from yeah um, mm, you're so you can you have a way of of, of simply saying things so what, what Thanks, you were just I try <laughs> you yeah but now i'm going to complicate the whole thing right, all right hit me. So you're, you're talking about understanding how people learn to move right how so as simply as you can put it Describe that learning. How do we learn as humans, as people, as basketball players, as tennis players, as whoever? How do we learn how to move? It comes with being able to explore variability in movement and exploiting that to better understand what you can and can't do. So when it comes to learning how to move, you have to first understand that everybody moves differently. And once you understand that, you have to also understand that regardless of how many tries you try and replicate something to be the same from the last rep to the next rep, every rep is going to be different. Every attempt is going to be different um, because the information you're picking up, your body and your senses picking up in every rep is going to be different. Um, and so once you keep that in mind, you won't waste time on attempting to look the same. Like you, you want, instead you want to perceive the differences. So what you're really, what people are really good at is is picking up on things that are un or like um unfamiliar. Like if you're in an environment, you're a very monotonous routine. Like for example, like you're going about your day, you can go on autopilot. You can get on the train. You can go to work. You can you know the thing you notice is like that one weird person that comes on the train that one morning. Like you'll never like you know it's like you're very good at picking up things that are different in your environment when when changes kind of like come about. And so what I'm getting at in regards to movement and learning, you don't want to try and make things look the same. You don't want to try and be the same every single time. Instead, you want to be really good at picking up the differences between attempts, the differences between um, the information you're picking up on and one rep versus the next, between one drill versus the next. And the more uh, attuned you are to that information, the more you're able to pick up on those subtleties, the better you're going to be able to manipulate it to your advantage. And so in regards to learning, um, you're going to be better. So all that means is you're going to be able to individualize it for yourself. The better you're able to pick up on that and have that skill of being attuned to that information regards 
in regards to how your body is perceiving your environment, how your body is moving, how your body is reacting in relationship to the thing you're doing um, and the performance or the result of how you did something and whether or not you were successful, the better you're going to be able to pick up, pick up on those things, the sooner you're going to be able to make the necessary adjustment. And it's not something that somebody else can do for you. Because when you're on your own how, how, and you rely on that information from somebody else, how are you going to do that successfully? If you were never taught how to be attuned to that kind of like a perception or like a sensitivity to like what's going on around you and, and within yourself too. Um, so that in a nutshell, like, you know, being able to exploit variability, being able to exploit that perception and making the necessary changes sooner than later allows you to better explore your options. And the sooner you can do that, the sooner you can move on to the next thing. You know what I mean? And like, and then restart that whole process again, instead of being stuck on the thing that you're trying to do over and over and over again. Yeah. So like, I know that the most skilled athletes or the most skilled movers have the most variability in their movement, right? So Steph Curry's jump shot to the normal person looks like it's a grooved same thing over and over. But I know underneath that, what we see visually, right, is more variability than a seven-year-old kid who is learning to shoot for the first time. How can you explain that in a way that a, a normal person would understand it or could understand it, how the, the most skilled athletes actually have more variability or like, you know, the best shooters and the best jump shooters in the world have more variability in that shot? What does that mean? Yeah, I think it's important to consider the difference between good and bad variability. Good variability simply when you look at it within the context of performance, good variability is a solution that allows you to be successful in the thing you're trying to do, making the basket, for example. So bad variability is variability that leads to unsuccessful attempts, right? Um, so when you're first learning something, uh, you might actually have a lot of bad variability because you're trying a bunch of things and you're trying to figure out how to get the best solution, right? And as you start getting get better and better, you start to develop um, less bad variability, right? You're finding the solution that allows you to be more successful in that performance outcome, making the basket, right? Um, but then you start to, the sooner you can explore good variability in a sense, the sooner you can get that consistent outcome or performance measure of like making the basket within different scenarios or situations, the better you're going to be able to apply that, especially if you're taking into consideration this environment in which it's meant to happen in competition. Um, and so you might start off, like if you're young, you, you have to take into, take into consideration like what your capacities are in regards to like, you know, physically too, a seven-year-old has a lot like different levels of strength than a, a full grown person, right? Um, and so if you do drills that are more appropriate to the capacities of an adult with a seven-year-old, are they really getting the most out of that drill? Are they really getting or learning what they need to learn to be successful long-term? Or are you just trying to look, create or provide something that like looks like it's on the right track? You know what I mean? like. Because perform and there's something that's very interesting too. If you look at some some of the research on like learning versus performance, like people who perform better. So there, by the way, just to kind of provide some context, you assess learning by looking or doing like a retention test to see how perform how somebody performs after a given period of time after a break. 
right? Performance is what's done or assessed early on. So you look at the performance after a certain intervention. Let's say you, you do a drill and then you assess them. All right, do this drill after practicing it. And they do really, really good. Um, when they look at people who um, perform really well, like say if you do a very consistent uh, method of practice where you're doing the thing over and over again versus somebody else who is doing it differently and maybe adding more variability to try and learn that skill, the person who did it over and over again tends to perform better in that performance test compared to the other, the other people, right? But then when you look at the retention test and see who actually learned better, it's the person who did more variability that ends up learning better long-term. But if you only focus on that performance test, like, oh, no, this person's better, so therefore they're going to learn better. Like, you're not considering, like, something that's found over and over and over again in research that, like, performance is not a good indicator of long-term learning, which right. is why it's so important for you to understand the components of learning, like, what it actually means to facilitate learning. Um, and so regarding... Um, what it means to like, you know, the difference between like a seven-year-old versus like an adult, right? It comes back to, are you good enough at understanding what's valuable for this particular individual in front of you in this point in time um, within the context of like uh, their entire career, like where they are in this state? Like, are you, are you good at understanding what stage they're in and what they need in that moment? Or are you going to try and fit them into a box that they, they don't necessarily belong? And so I think that's really the skill and assessment too, and experience and it's kind of picking up on that. And once you understand where they are, then it goes a step further in individualizing it and meeting their needs in regards to like how you can best facilitate learning without making them feel like they're failing, which is something that I think is very important to keep in mind too. So with like the seven-year-old, is, is it ever too early to offer or can you offer too much variability in the training? Like with with a seven-year-old, right? I, they're, they're not going to make 10 layups in a row. I mean, I don't, I don't know of any of our, like, we, we have a beginner group now. It's all third through fifth grade. I don't, even our best player in that group, I don't think she's ever, or he's ever made 10 layups in a row. I'm not going to have them do a turnaround fadeaway three because they'll never even reach the basket. But can I try putting something in their right hand and have them, you know, do a left hand reverse layup, even if they make one out of a hundred, is it not detrimental? I, I don't think it would ever be detrimental, but is there like a, you know, a certain loss uh, on like a, like a return on investment with, with something like that? Is it too early to be doing complex things with, with a seven-year-old? Yeah, it's a really good question. Kind of like, asking like, what's the happy medium, right? Yeah. How much do you know? Um, and that comes, so there's something where uh, known as like, um, it, it, you, you have to, when you look into some of it and some of the literature, like um, I'm referring literature, stuff I'm reading now, it's stuff that's, you know, I'm trying to sound fancy, whatever stuff I'm reading, you know what I mean? Like the literature. more I learn this, I, I'm yeah. still learning it. Mm -hmm. um, Let's go. I'm trying to be evidence-based. Anyway, no, the, the more you look at uh, kind of what they're like, how people learn, um, you start to see this pattern of like finding the happy medium between like task difficulty, like how difficult an actual thing is, um, but at the same time, how difficult it is for that person, mm -hmm. right? Um, so there's, it's called nominal task difficulty. It's like how difficult the actual drill is like irrespective of the person you take the person out, like how difficult is this task mm -hmm. bouncing on a BOSU ball with one leg, eyes closed, juggling, you know, like that's a difficult task. 
But if you do that to like a circus performer, it might not be functionally, it might not be that difficult. But if you do that to somebody who doesn't have that kind of coordination, it's extremely difficult, right? Mm -hmm. So getting like keeping that in mind when you decide what you choose and what you provide for your athletes, like ask yourself, like, you know, is it overly complex on its own? And if it is like, what happens when I like put an actual person into this drill? Um, And so keeping that in mind, like, you know, how much is too much? I think if you are better able to understand what somebody's capable of, you're going to be able to choose a task that's, you know, just difficult enough to meet their capacities mm-hmm. to make make it kind of that where they're not succeeding 100% of the time, but mm-hmm. they're not failing 100% of the time. Yeah. So, so right, right at the edge of their ability, right? That's what we always exactly. And, and that takes that takes exploration, you can't mm-hmm. do that without exploring, you know, what I mean, you can't do that without being okay with like, knowing where those boundaries are. And I think people uh, are want to make it perfect. They want to, you know, you have to do 10 in a row. Well, you learn a lot from missing too. You know what I mean? And I've seen that from some of the videos that you, um, that you guys post, like you learn a lot. And like, if you're able to reflect on why you missed, then maybe you can adjust it accordingly to, you see how like, that's where the flexibility comes in. Like if you understand what variables you can manipulate um, with the end goal of trying to make it um, better for that athlete, rather than the dr- like teaching the drill for the sake of the drill, then you're going to be better able to manipulate and find that happy medium. But if you're stuck on, like, it has to look a certain way, it has to be this way, then you never really engage the athlete in that process because they're, they're the ones providing you with that information. You know what I mean? So if you as a coach are constantly taking this like role of being above and, you know, looking down on them as like, I'm the one telling you what to do instead of like being on that same playing field of like, your, your information is just, or feedback is just as valuable for me because I'm the one who's going to have to, you know, help you by adjusting the drill, but I need your, I need you to be able to tell me that information. And so it's like, I'm providing information, they're providing information, and that interaction is what allows them to better understand how to deal with it on their own. Um, so it, like I said, it goes back to exploring that. So with the, like the whole 10 in a row thing, like maybe for a foul shot, right, that, that that's something I might do, but I'll have a kid... I am a 10 threes in a row. I was well, was anybody guarding you? You know? And no. Well, how fast did you, how fast was your release? Well, it was really slow. I, I was like, yeah, I saw you over there. I mean, would that, would you ever shoot like that in a game? No. Okay. So you made 10 in a row, but 10 in a row means nothing to me. If I'm guarding you, I'm six foot seven, you know, I'm pretty, pretty good at basketball. If I was guarding you, how many would you make in a row? Right. And that's where we need to learn how to, to bridge that. Right. Where, OK, great. You made 10 in a row, but it's not realistic to the demands of the sport. It wouldn't hold up under the chaos of the game. Right. So I'll have play. I see it all the time. Coaches, we have to do this drill and we have to make 10 in a row. What do the athletes do? They're not dumb. They're going to slow down. Right. They're going to take their time. Now, what are we doing? Okay, we made 10 in a row, but it's a number that doesn't mean anything because it's not an, what is it? It's 10. It, it means nothing. You did 10 layups at half speed, right? So I do a lot of, I, I try to teach form through speed sometimes where mm-hmm. if I, right, where it's not about make 10 in a row. It's, I don't even want you to worry about making shots. I want you just to focus on speed. Okay. And maybe it'll make one out of 10, right? 
they make one, but I bet they learned more out of those nine misses than they would have out of 10 slow makes where I'm not trying to get them to slow down their form so they can have more time to focus. I'm trying to speed up their form to speed up their focus. Does that make sense? And is there any like thing behind, I found it to work where kids like they're going to be, they're so focused on the make, but they have so much time to focus that if I just have them focus on the speed of their movements, let's say a jump shot for this, that I'm actually trying to get them to speed up at the rate at which they can locate the rim and, and make it. You watch Steph Curry, LeBron hit a shot last night where he let go and he turned around, you know, to I saw the, that one. Yeah. Saw yeah. that Right. So he yeah, makes, yeah. he shoots the ball, but as soon as the ball's out of his hand, he, he turns around and doesn't even watch it go in. Right. The rate at which LeBron can find and whether it's confidence or what that is, but I don't know. What do you have to say about that? I think um, as a coach, like the, like, for example, like you're not going to do like a speed drill going into jump shot if they can't make a jump shot. Right. Right. To begin with. Right. So there are like, like it really depends on your understanding of what they call like task dynamics like what are the demands of the thing you're trying to ask them to do right like what's required like what are the like the the things you should be able to have the capacity to do to be successful right um and so what i think you do really well actually is understanding that because of your experience as a coach and this is why i always harp on like you kind of have to have experience doing the thing you're trying to teach I, that's I'm on that end where like I really do believe that or at least be able to understand and have some experience so you can better relate. But I think because you understand this so well, you understand the components that you can kind of pull out and isolate uh, without isolating to the point where it's like outside of the context of the th- like the environment that you have to perform it in. But you understand the important variable, the important components of the thing you need to be able to have as an athlete in basketball and then create a drill that allows you to better focus like take out the demands of performance of making the basket so that you can better focus on the quality of, of the aspect that you're trying to work on if that makes so the speed being the thing you're trying to work on like well if you if the goal or the task is to make the basket but then you're telling the athlete to focus on the speed but then they are going fast and then they miss the basket if you if, if in their mind the the goal is the bet to make the shot you know, they're going to navigate their movement solution according to that, if that makes sense. So, so the better you understand what you're asking them to do, or maybe the better you understand where they're putting their attention to, the better you're going to be able to individualize it, to work on the thing that you want them to work on. Um, and kind of going back to what I said earlier about like, you're very good at picking up at like, what's different. If you're missing over and over, like the one you make is actually the thing that's different. So sometimes like, you know, I see it playing out as like, there are good scenarios where like, you know, you explore, there's something called like, I think, I think they call it like differential learning. So this is another like theory or framework where like you deliberately do things that you would never do in a game. So there are like approaches to coaching that way for the sole goal of just exploring boundaries Mm -hmm. that you otherwise would never expose. So there's, you know, you can do that and explore like, and those, I see those, um, that method, like as a great way to um, like a low pressure uh, situation that you can kind of take the time to do things that you otherwise wouldn't. So you can better understand yourself in relationship to the thing that you're doing, still staying within the context of the sport, not doing it so much that like, you know, you're not going to throw, you're not going to shoot a basketball blindfold. I mean, you could, but like, 
the idea is like you still stay within the realm of specificity, but still doing things that you otherwise would never do in a game just for the sake of exploring. Um, but I think, like I said, it goes back to exploring that and making sure that like you're able to facilitate that and understand what you're asking so you can be more specific with how you're going about teaching it. James, we've talked a lot about just learning how to move and, and um, you know, kind of the mental aspects of dealing with variability and all that stuff. I, I wanted to... Um, to ask you just about now actually like preparing our bodies for the variability and for, you know, all the demands we put on it as athletes and just as, as regular people. Um, you are, aside from being a PT student, you are a lead instructor with the FRS? Assistant instructor. So I help out whenever, when they were coming to New York. Yeah. Okay. So can you, um, by the way, I'm actually, I don't know if you're going to be there, but I'm taking the FRC seminar this weekend. I know it's all oh, virtual now, I, so I don't know if you'll be on. I but. just started. I just started school, so I haven't been able to jump okay. on. But I'm going to try in February. Nice. Okay, so for for the audience out there, right, kids and parents, whoever's listening, can you just talk about what the FRS is, and you know maybe some of the main principles um, about you yeah know, preparing our joints and articular health and all that good stuff. For sure. Like so, FRS functional range systems is a uh, is a system. It's it's a a methodology that encompasses kind of getting it's a methodology that helps you better uh, take control of your body in a way where it expands movement quality by giving your joints the capacity to do the thing that they're supposed to do and that's move within certain ranges right and so uh, part of what the methodology really pushes is actually stems from a lot of motor learning framework and theory so part of it being dynamical systems theory I won't get too complicated. It just basically respecting that every individual is unique, um, but we all have the same joints. We all have a shoulder. Well, most of us, right? Uh, we all have a hip. We all have a knee. You should know what those joints are capable of doing. Um, and then the sooner you learn how to explore what they're capable of doing, the sooner you'll know what they're not doing. And so what we teach is we teach coaches, clinicians, how to, um, expand what we call workspace or basically your movement capacity within the outer limits of range of motion. And we provide like a very systematic approach to doing that in a way that's sustainable um, and actually yields results because part of what we teach is uh, teaching how to be very active and involved in that process. Whereas other methods tend to be very passive. Um, big quote that people tend to like throw around a lot is like passive, uh, passive inputs lead to passive uh, results like active inputs or active methods lead to active results. So the idea being um, the more we can teach you how to control your body, the better you're going to be able to use that control when you're doing the thing that you want to do better, whether it's basketball, whether it's another sport. Um, the best example I can give is like, if your shoulder doesn't have the range of motion necessary, and I'll put it within the context of basketball to externally rotate, be able to get yourself in position your body's going to find the solution to that task that may not be optimal in a sense or may mm -hmm. lead to uh, less performance. And mm -hmm. so um, we're not teaching you how to play basketball. We're simply giving you the joint that you need to do the thing that you want to do, which is play basketball, right? So that when you come back to practicing your skill, uh, you have the tools to do that. Um, and part of what we do is we teach you to be more resilient within ranges of motion that tend to be more vulnerable, ranges of motion that are not explored as much in the gym. And so 
by expanding your control of those ranges, you're going to be have more options of what we call workspace. More workspace means more options to explore and uh, more, more opportunities to do some of the fun drills that you guys can put together. Right. And mm -hmm. because I think you've probably come across athletes who have more capacity for that movement and you see that you're able to actually manipulate your coaching to better explore those capacities, whereas somebody else is very limited in their capacity for movement you're actually restrained and first of all, getting, helping them get over that restriction, but also in your ability to select the drills that they're actually capable of doing. And so we just teach coaches how to navigate that, um, not within a specific sport or anything, but every sport really, because mm -hmm. everybody is human. We teach humans how to be more human, to have the joints that they need to have to do the things that they want to do. Real quick for any kid who comes into the gym and says, my hamstring's tight or I'm not dunking today because I didn't stretch. Can you explain, well, first of all, what would you say to that? And then can you explain the difference between maybe mobility and flexibility and what athletes really need? Yeah. Um, so mobility, let's talk about flexibility. Flexibility is just the capacity to be bent, to be stretched passively, no active input, no effort on your end. It's me taking your leg and cranking it where I want without you contributing whatsoever. Mobility is having strength on top of that flexibility. And if there's one thing we know about strength is the ability to produce force within a position is it has a very big impact or influence and in how well you're going to be able to tolerate the demands of moving within that range or that position. And so, um, if you find yourself like hindered by injury, hindered by like limitations in your own body, like you may want to invest more on take addressing though, like what your body's capable of doing instead of doing the thing that you're doing more instead of playing your sport more. Cause I think the solution tends to be, uh, I need to get better at the sport, the skill. Um, but you have to remember like your joints are the constraints in which your nervous system has to work around. So if your joints don't move within certain ranges, the solutions you're going to find to a, to a task, to a sport or a demand of your sport is going to be within the constraints of your movement capacity. And so if you invest in expanding that, then you actually provide yourself with more opportunities to find or to work with good variability, kind of what we talked about earlier. So the more range of motion and control you have over that range. So we're not just talking about flexibility. We don't want to stretch you. So your gumbo gumby and just kind of bending all over the place. If you don't have control, then you can't use it. Um, especially when there's speed involved, when there's acceleration, deceleration, you have to understand the demands of that. And so if you have more mobility, or at least if we teach, if you learn how to teach yourself to at least explore those ranges, and introduce load into those tissues within those ranges. Mm -hmm. When you find yourself in those ranges in your sport, you, it's at least, it's not uncharted territory. You've been there before. Mm -hmm. You've explored it. And your nervous system doesn't freak out and say, whoa, hold up. We got to like stop you. We, we got to shut this down, right? Because you've never been here before. I, I, I sense injury or risk. So we're going to like, you know, tighten up, which is when people talk about tightness, Tightness is a perception. You don't, you can't measure tightness. If that makes right. sense. Like it's a person, it's a feeling. And so what is tight. Yeah. What is tight, right? Like how can you, what, how do you object? Like what number can you attribute a number to that? How do you physiologically measure tightness? You know? And so when, when somebody says they feel tight, um, cause you can have, I I've worked with yoga 
practitioners, I mean, flexible, crazy, you know, I'm sure you've met people like that who don't practice yoga, but are just like naturally like really, really flexible. And they still say they're tight. Like, what do you mean you're tight? You know, like when they say they're tight and then you have somebody who's actually limited in range of motion, they say they're tight. Like, which one is it? You know what I mean? Like what, what's tightness even mean? So it's a perception or a feeling. Um, and that's a feeling that you also have to be able to navigate. Like, and that only happens, um, or I feel like it's something that you can really better appreciate or understand if, or address if you have experience exploring your body um, within the outer limits of movement, similar to what you would do in a control setting in the gym. You want to be able to do that for each and every joint so that you can at least, when something does go wrong, you have a better representation of your of what you can can do within those joints so that you can at least provide or maybe figure out the better solution to kind of get you going in the right direction sooner than later, at least. So to piggyback off that, what would you, so I know, I mean, a lot of therapists repeat, we want, we'll just look at the ankles for now because I think it's easy. We want, I don't know, 40, 41 degrees of dorsiflexion or we want to clear the knee over the toe four or five inches, whatever it is. What do you do now? You have, let's say Vince Carter, walk into your door and he has, you know, eight degrees of dorsiflexion, his knee's not getting over his toe, presents no symptoms, no, no knee pain, no nothing. Do you correct that? Or do you look to improve that? Or do you leave it alone? Well, it depends what they're walking in for. You know what I mean? Like, so I have to consider. So Vince Carter four years ago is uh, 37, 38, and he wants to, uh, he wants to play till he's 45. So I think, it's important to frame it. So it, the intervention like is like, you know, mobilizing or like moving within those ranges, but intention matters a lot. Like if your intention is to tr- think that you're going to change that and make them better, like just stop right there. Like, cause that's not going to happen. Cause you don't know that you don't know if changing this is going to do anything to performance because performance specific to the task. So I, I'm, I said earlier that, yes, it does influence like what your body can do and how you go about, excuse me. Um, moving right how your body selects for solutions to or to a certain like movement problem per se uh like you're not correcting anything because you're assuming something's like wrong you know what i mean like that's a pretty big assumption you're telling me vince carter something wrong with vince carter you know what i mean like yeah. i know better than vince carter's own body you well know what I, mean? I use him because i know he had like as close to zero dorsiflexion as you could have and he's one of the greatest dunkers of all time and he had a 20-year career in the nba and I know a lot of therapists would have gotten him and immediately put him in a calf stretch or whatever pales rails the heck out of his ankle and, and went to get him more range. Couldn't more range slow him down? Couldn't that stiffness that he has be a, a, a great thing for him? Is that possible? Could yeah, for sure. More range slow him down and make him less impactful on the court? And could that lack of range be why he's such the, the jumper mm-hmm. he is? Yeah, for sure. Like you got to keep in mind too, the better you understand the demands of what he's doing. So like you said, like the stiffness, like tendon stiffness will contribute to elasticity uh, in something like jumping. But then if you ask yourself, like, where does the quality of that stiffness come from? Is it from a, are you relying on a stiff joint to also get that stiffness? Like, so I think it's like a slippery slope because you want to assume and jump and think like, if I address this, he'll get better. But we know from a specificity standpoint, it's not until you do the thing you want to get better at that you get better at it, but we can only address this one component. And if we do, if we keep in mind that like you understand why you're doing it, then maybe 
the likelihood of it influencing in a very positive way may help. Um, but in regards to something like that, I think from a longevity standpoint, so there's a difference between longevity training and then performance training. So you can say they're performing very well and they're at the top of their game, but then I won't go as far to say that if he keeps up this way, like he'll get injured. Like you never know. You can't predict that stuff. But what we do know is if you have limited, limited options for, for moving, you're more likely to stress those lines of tissue over and over again. And what we talk about from a longevity standpoint is uh, this is actually, they researched this and we, um, it was actually, I listened to a very good podcast on perception action where they looked at how variability impacted like uh, rates of injury or how it influenced it. Variability allowed load to be distributed through different lines of tension uh, so that you're not repeating over and over through those lines of tissue, which can lead to overuse injuries, which, which can lead to uh, overstressing of certain tissues. And so, but again, you can't really predict and know for certainty if that's actually going to happen for somebody because somebody might be so resilient and so adapted to the demands of their sport that what might look like an issue to you, it actually is like the best solution for them. Um, and so the best thing you can do is respect that. But then it, it comes back to like before you even lay your hands or give anybody something to do, you really understand what it is you're trying to address. Because right. if you're telling me, I'm not going to say I'm going to address this basketball, like, no, but you know, it, it really is context specific. So I'm going to give that it depends answer, um, yeah. but it does depend on a lot of factors. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you have to have your line of questioning, right? Mr. Carter, thank you for coming to my gym. You know, why are you here? What do you want? Yeah, exactly. What are you looking for? Do you have any problems? Is there something what's holding you back? And you just get to know who's in front of you, right? If I want to serve exactly. somebody, I have to know who I'm serving. Right. So if I just go in there with my, you know, preconceived notions of what I think he needs or what I think he should have, uh, that's not my job. Right. That is not my job. I'm a guide. I'm not a dictator of your life. I'm not a dictator of your movement. I want to know who you are, what your goals are. And then maybe with my knowledge of movement, with skill development, with, you know, athletic development, then I can use that to guide you and get you to who you want to be. So Vince Carter works walks in at 38 years old. I have no idea what I'm going to do with him. I don't know if I'm going to touch his ankles. I don't know if I'm going to, you know, work on his uh, movement capacity or try to increase range or active control. I have no idea, right? As of right now, I have zero skin in that game, right? So it doesn't even make sense. But I like to prepare myself for those situations, right? Where if I'm constantly learning, talking to guys like you, me and Alex talk every single day, these are tough questions. It is a, it depends answer, but we can begin to almost theorize what we would do, right? To better have, so if we are confronted with an elite athlete or a not so elite athlete, how are we going to approach that situation where we're not just flying by the seat of our pants, throwing random stuff at him, but we have a kind of a scripted line of questioning, get to know you, who are you, what makes you tick, why are you here? And then we can begin to kind of storyboard or whatever you want to call it, the different ways that we could possibly help and guide that athlete. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really good point because like, well, something to consider is like, you shouldn't think that you need to have the answer in that moment. Right. They walk in, like, you're not going to have the answer. No. Um, and if they think you're going to have the answer, like you have to be able to understand, like, and maybe re 
reorient their expectations because it's a process. And that process is not, I'm the professional and you're the one coming to see me. The process or, or that interaction is we're on the same, like, I need to learn about you and I need, exactly, right? Like you have to be able to, um, I think actually I want to talk about more stuff about like the perception, like, I think the better you understand what they're perceiving within their own body, that's going to give you more clues as to what you might want to address rather than like thinking purely mechanical, which is what people tend to do when it comes from a like physical therapy standpoint, or like even training standpoint, like you think like they're looking for a mechanical solution to like their joint limitations or whatnot. But like going back to that feeling of tightness, right? Tightness is a perception, a feeling like, what if in their mind, if you dig a little deep, like their perception, even though you're like, that's not really tightness, like it's something else, but like in their mind, they are the ones perceiving that as the limiting factor. It's a question of, do you have the tools or the skills to help them navigate that for themselves rather than thinking, do you have the solution to that? Cause like, if you have the solution, you're going to like theragun them or like rub <laughs> them until they, they don't feel tight anymore, but then it doesn't help them better understand their relationship between what they're feeling with that tightness and how it's impacting or how they perceive it's impacting their game in the example of what you're bringing up with like Vince Carter, for example. Right. But I think it all goes back to exploring relationships and I don't mean people, people, it is like a person to person relationship. I'm talking about like relationships between uh, relevant components or like relationships between what you're feeling and how you're performing relationships between yourself and what you're perceiving in your own body, like interactions between constraints or uh, things like you're looking, if you look at those relationships or interactions, you're going to be able to find what it is that you can at least provide some, um, some guide, like you said, to nudge them in maybe exploring different solutions. Cause they might be trying something over and over again, beating their heads against the wall uh, in trying to address some, something that they're not familiar with. And so what, like you said, you're just guiding them, you're nudging them, but you can't do that if you don't understand. And then it becomes an issue of, do they understand themselves well enough to be able to communicate that? So now you as a coach or as a clinician have to be skilled in helping them navigate that and explore that for themselves. So when they are able to like articulate it um, through your skilled questioning, then you can start to kind of create some change instead of like, just relying on like a very superficial understanding of what's happening um, and not going any deeper, but it's a process. It's not like you should have the solution in, in place and you should have the skills to navigate that process. And it's, I think we get all these, de it depends type answers because there is no black and white, you know, scoreboard of what we do and the impact that we have or can have on, let's say an athlete, right? There is no, hard i mean we we can you know track their progress in terms of range of motion get a goniometer whatever you want to do uh, record their vertical jump in that but a lot of the things we do it's more of a feeling right D does this athlete feel like i'm helping them because that i mean that's half the battle if they can begin to feel progress and understand the work that goes into progress right now we're setting up them if they want to have a 20-year career they just want to have a 60-year career as a human feeling good and we can kind of you know give them the framework to do that and I, that's what kind of drew me to i guess frc and that the, the amount of active participants there are under the FRS umbrella and how, I mean, we got a gang of people doing some, you know, funky movements and, you know, all this stuff, but it, it's, it's cool to see this amount of people trying to expand their capacities as humans and movers. And I came in, I, I mean, I, you know, I can't touch my toes. I can't sit and do a deep squat. I can't, you know, I have 
horrible dorsiflexion i've got injuries or see I, that's just how i talk i remember too right, right. i, I not, remember yeah i'm not much better right now right <laughs> it's been four years three years and i'm not much better but i'm beginning to you know i i, I practice i i i I, I'm, I'm attuned to what's going on in my body and I, you know, and I, and I try different things and I start to make progress and then I get lazy or I get busy. Right. But it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I wanted to get you on here. You were, like I said, you, my first, you know, uh, certification when I went there, um, something about you, maybe it was your mustache, you know, stuck out to me. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I had it then. Did I? I can't even remember. <laughs> it might've been that. I remember you were eating a complete cookie. And uh, talking oh, about yeah. how awful your diet was, I was like, I'll probably get along <laughs> with this guy. I ate four on the way there. But um, if you have any, uh, you know, what are you up to? Where can people find you? Um, anything like that? We're not real, uh, real effective. Yeah, I, you, <laughs> can, you can hit me hit me on Instagram at Chungi Chung, um, or shoot me an email. Let me see if I can get this right j.chungichung at gmail because i didn't get chungichung as the gmail somebody took it i don't know who would take it um Find them. but you reached me out on, on instagram um and just to provide a little more background like like or ho hopefully for anybody else listening if, if they got anything out of this I, the conversation I, is that um there's more to it than just kind of the thing you're doing i think once you start to dive a little deeper into like your motivation for doing what you're doing but then better understand like what's involved, the better you're going to be able to find or explore that process for yourself. And so, you know, find yourself a coach like you two or like, you know, so that you can have somebody to help you navigate that process rather than tell you how to do it. And I think it's something that helped me in my past. And it's something I see you two making a, a huge impact in your athletes. So I love what you're posting. Keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate it. I learn a lot because I, I, I love seeing how, other coaches and clinicians apply this framework and the creativity that emerges from it is just like, it's, it's so cool. It's, it's, I, it's just fun. I, I, you guys look like you're having fun. You know what I mean? Like, and it we just, do. Yeah, and it doesn't just look like that. Mm -hmm. And like, I know there's with Instagram, like people can, you know, show the version of themselves that they want everybody to see. Like you say, that makes me excited that you can see it. We, I mean, yeah. how much every day, every day we have every so day. much, it looks fun. like so much fun. Yeah. Cool. I'm just like, Oh yeah. And like, you know, a hater will comment something. I'm like, this guy's an idiot. You know, like he doesn't know. How, we're, you know, our kids love us. We love them. We're having so much fun. I think kids are getting better. You know, I hope. Fingers crossed. But yeah, if not, exactly. we're having a great time. You know, we're busy. Maybe we're just, we're just pretending. Yeah, yeah we're making whatever. all this stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At least yeah. what it seems, that's what it seems like. And right. when it comes to mobility on Instagram, everybody's just doing a bunch of weird circles. You know what yeah. I mean? But whatever. Yeah. As long as we're able to I enjoy make it those meaningful. weird circles. <laughs> All right, I guess I'll post more of them then. Yeah, keep doing it, man. Yeah. James, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, I appreciate talking to you too. Take care. All right.